Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is your life. Hello and welcome to Pick a Flick, in which you pick a film, we talk about it. Simple. I'm Tony Black, your host, and with me today, again, are uh, two of my best friends who were on episode three, which you may have heard. Um, oh, that was weeks ago. That was weeks ago. <laughs> that absolutely wasn't recorded at the same time as this episode. No, yeah. very idea. Um, the whole, the whole I really change. enjoyed all the feedback to our first episode. Thank you so much it's for great, your, isn't it? all, all the all it. those yeah. comments, all those yeah. all those things people were saying. Yeah, pretty much. Never put Dawson on again. I mean, I was going to say Matt Dawson, my first guest. What what kind of things have people been saying? About oh, well, there's actually I now have an unofficial fan club. Uh, right, really, based on the first episode. Yeah, this it's uh, a lot of positive feedback. Uh, yeah. It turns out that everyone agreed with me. The room was really shut. Really, is that right? Yeah, literally ninety. Uh, I actually uh, did some maths on this. Ninety-seven point three percent of the feedback we got agreed with me and said that you were both wrong. Absolutely, and that yeah. I, I was right. I was. I was amazed by that. We are assuming that you have listened to episode three. <laughs> so if you haven't, then um, good luck. That was officially hello from Matt Latham, my other guest. Today we're going to be talking about two more movies that uh, divide opinion. Let's let's put it this way, which have been nominated by the two gentlemen in the room. Um, not the room, the film, but um, <laughs> the people who were sitting next yeah, to Tony me. Tony Wiseau and Greg Sabuti. So, yeah. <laughs> Those films are... Dawson, what's what's the film you nominated? Well, actually, I, I've got a story here. I didn't actually nominate this film. Yes, you did. I didn't. You said that I have, uh, but the truth is I, I mentioned... That makes it look like I lied to my listeners. No, you didn't, right? Because... The story about this is that we, um, a, a friend of ours nominated Confessions of a Shopaholic. Yeah, which was uh, covered on the blog. If you go which to www.pickaflick.co.uk. Uh, very, very good. Um, I've got it bookmarked. And uh, as a joke, I said, oh, Confessions of a Shopaholic. That's very much like Confessions of a Window Cleaner. Ha, ha, ha. At which point we started to have a discussion about Confessions of a Window Cleaner. And we realised there was a lot to actually be said about the film. So it kind of accidentally got picked so it wasn't one that I would have picked but it's something that is actually quite interesting and I have a lot of interesting things to say about this one so Confessions of a Window Cleaner and Latham what's yours? the first one I think I may actually I said was Spice World the 
film about the Spice Girls. Well, not about the Spice Girls, starring the starring Spice Girls. The Spi- well, a bit both, really. Starring yeah. and about the Spice Girls. Yes. So those are two very, very different films that obviously make complete sense to talk about in a podcast together. <laughs> so uh, without further ado, let's pick a flick. Confessions of a Window Cleaner is a 1974 British sex comedy film directed by Val Guest. Like the other films in the Confession series, Confessions of a Pop Performer, Confessions of a Driving Instructor, and Confessions from a Holiday Camp, it concerns the erotic adventures of Timothy Lee. Timmy Lee. (laughs) Based on the novels written under that name by Christopher Wood. Each film features Robin Asquith and Anthony Boo. Sid. Morning, Jackie. You're early. Yeah, sorry, love. Had to rearrange the schedule. At least you get done before the rain. Oh, I'm breaking in some new help. Since when did you need help? Well, you know how things are. You've got to expand. And is this the expansion? Yeah, my new mate, Timmy. Nice to meet you, Timmy. Me too. He hasn't had much experience yet, but I'm sort of letting him feel his way around with a few understanding customers. You were always thoughtful, Sid. Yeah. Well, I'll leave him to get on with it then. Won't I be seeing you again? Oh, sure. I'll be in and out. Now and then. Good job now, Timo. All right. Right. You won't be needing that inside. The rooms are quite small. Oh, yes, of course. Sorry, madam. I'll be honest, until yesterday I'd never actually ever watched this film in its entirety. Uh, the only time I'd ever seen it was uh, sort of like late 90s, Channel 5. They had that bit where they kind of used to show like soft porn on a, on a Friday night. So not, I, not that we ever engaged in anything like that, Laden, of course. You're too young to remember that. There's a fifth channel. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this was back in the day when we only had five channels. So I, uh, this is the first time I actually watched it and I didn't really know what to expect. Well, I kind of did, but I didn't. And I thought it was very interesting. I think there's a... Uh, a lot to be said. First of all, you might have heard me singing the theme tune, which is, without doubt, probably the catchiest theme tune ever. And we've been singing it pretty much all afternoon. This is your life, Timmy Lee. Bow, bow. But actually, let's talk a little bit about the background about it, because what actually, what was actually going on at the time is, is during the late uh, 1960s, there was a big uh, movement in British cinema looking at more gritty, looking at sort of lower classes and what was happening with the lower class in the country. Because up to that point, on British cinema had mainly been uh, seen as the higher classes, people with a bit of money, costume dramas, that kind of thing. Where in the late 60s, you suddenly had a lot more, uh, as I said, working class people with proper jobs, what it was like. And what happened from this is that uh, you had a, a whole spin-off of uh, 70s sitcoms, which came from that sort of kitchen drama, <coughs> kitchen drama type of it environment so uh, you had things like uh, one of your personal favourite Tony's on the buses I love on the buses uh, you also had things like Steptoe and Son which is it's quite funny because Steptoe and Son is actually uh, classed as a classic whereas on the buses isn't but as part of this this movement uh, films started to uh, spread up and this uh, Confessions of a Window Cleaner was actually the first uh, one of the first examples of What's classed as a low-class novel? So up to that point, there was a lot of Shakespeare, a lot of classic classic novels being adapted to films. This was actually the first, uh, one of the first erotic kind of seen as as, as the, the the work of the people um, to make it to the big screen. Well, it's funny because Sean Barber has done a lot of uh, research into this, and she points out that adaptations of highbrow material, um, for example, works by Ibsen, Chekhov, Iris Murdoch. And middle brain material, um, which encounters things like Shakespeare, Dickens, Kipling, Lawrence, which you wouldn't think were middle brow, but in essence they are, because they're more about the working classes, aren't they? Whereas the Ibsen and Chekhov, they're much more about the upper classes and they have more of that, you know, kind of language. 
They were hardly unusual by the 1970s, but points to confessions as an early adaptation of lowbrow popular literature. Now, if we go in, if we discuss what lowbrow is, low culture is a derogatory term for some forms of popular culture that have mass appeal. Its contrast is high culture. It has been said by culture theorists that both culture, both high culture and low culture are subcultures. Today, this would mean things like takeaway meals, gossip magazines, and books that are current bestsellers. So it's interesting how, you know, nowadays we'd say your lowbrow kind of TV, for instance, would be things like The X Factor or The Only Way is Essex, wouldn't we? Well, I'd actually point to as something like Mrs. Brown's Boys, um, yeah. which is kind of seen by the critics as as not being very worthy and, and, and get slammed by the critics regularly, but has got an enormous following by the public, especially the sort of more lower class, working class, middle class kind of uh, mm. kind of people. <laughs> <laughs> Human that beings. was worth it, just for your face. They look like it was I, li- I literally had no idea where I was going with that. Um, but he struggled. Yeah. <laughs> Human beings. He struggled with um, the word beings. And in fact, Confessions is exactly the same as that. Uh, this film, uh, critics savaged it. Absolutely mm. savaged it. But it was actually stupidly popular, stupidly... Uh, uh, successful at the box office. I think it actually made. I think it was nine times, nine times what it cost to make. They they bought back in revenue, so the people went to see it. It was very very popular, uh, and as a result, there were a lot. Uh, as I said the three spin off films. Uh, a lot more of the sitcoms became films, such as Are You Being Served on the Buses. Uh, all got made into big screen adaptations, mm. all because they were popular with the people well this film uh, the film series as a whole made the point of casting actors already familiar to television audiences the idea was probably to attract said audience to the cinema so this was a trend at the time for successful sitcoms to be adapted in film like you've said which produced hits like dad's army in 1971 on the buses in 1971 which had three films on the buses mutiny on the buses and holiday on the buses which is a definitely a guilty pleasure of mine holiday on the buses retrograde trash but it is wonderful in my opinion up pompeii 1971 and step like you said in 1972 the sitcom like confessions could probably appeal to the same audience because in 1971 on the buses was the second greatest hit of the year the confessions films combined the style of the sitcom films with sexploitation it's been suggested that the term sexcom could come out of this blending of genres because that's interesting because really if Confessions, for me, it seems like a step further from the carry-on films. In the, when, in the early carry-on films, you had, which I grew up watching, that you had all of these very camp actors and you had saucy women like Barbara Windsor and whatnot, but it was quite tame. If you look at the early carry-ons, like Carry-On Teacher and Carry-On Spine. It was more suggestive humour. Yeah, but it wasn't it. even much in terms of double entendre. A lot of it was, was more witty and it was more riffs. I mean, the Carry-On Spine is one big riff on the third man, for instance. Thing, and, and bits of like 50s Ian Fleming but by the time you get to the 70s with, with films like Carry On Behind I mean it's, it's, it's almost like it's almost the, the, there's the scenes in Carry On Behind with strippers and, and people getting their asses out and stuff it's very much and that's around the same time as Confessions whereas Confessions it's full blown nudity it's sex even though a lot of it is it's not porn in the sense of you don't see bits going in and out but it's definitely a lot more in your face I, I think it has to be when you're kind of reviewing something like this and when you look at something like this, you have to kind of remember the time that it's set. Yeah, it's yeah. easy to kind of look back now and, 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 and judge it. And and, um, and there's a lot of this film that, 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 that does fall down and will be judged harshly. But what was happening with censorship at the time? So censorship was becoming a lot more relaxed. We were coming at the back of the 60s where uh, 
times have changed. People are a lot more yeah. open about sexuality. In fact, you could actually say we've actually taken a little bit of a step back since then, which some people argue is a good thing, some argue it's not. Um, but you wouldn't, I don't think today you would see a film with as much nudity and um, suggestive, like suggestive language as you would with this film. I've said, I've said before, I've said to both of you that I think that if you even even from a narrative perspective, Confessions is is all over the place because it doesn't actually have a, a, it, a lot like a lot of these kind of films. It doesn't have a proper story. It's just a series of, of of sexual adventures for Timmy, right? And it doesn't really connect in many ways. It just uses the, the focus of him being a randy window cleaner. And with the voiceover going, oh, I bet, I bet she, she'd be good in the sack. Oh, yeah, mate. And all this. It's got that kind of... It's very episodic, but like a sitcom, almost. But the problem with it is that the, the, the sexual politics are really, really difficult now. Because if it, I, said, I think I said to you guys that it feels like the kind of film that all the Operation U-Tree offenders would have made. You know, it, it's, it has that real retrograde approach to women. And in the sense of it being very sexist. And I agree in what you say when you say that it's you've got to think of the prism of when it was made. I agree with you. But in terms of looking back now, it leaves a, di- a difficult taste in the mouth, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree up to a point with what you're saying. And as I said, you look back now and there is bits which make you go, oh, a bit cringeworthy. Yeah, creepy but, is, is more the um, term. But a film, I'm going to compare this to a lot because I think it has a lot of comparisons. And I think it's an interesting comparison is if you look at the Inbetweeners film I think Timmy the main character is uh, is a mix of Will yeah and also Jay mm. imagine Will and Jay kind of mixed together it has a lot of things that the Inbetweeners have kind of got in there so you have the uh, the, the main character doing the narration the almost diary entry kind of vocals you have this character who has got no success with women at the beginning of the film you know he's like this virgin who doesn't know how to talk to women and doesn't know how to be around them and during the first part of the film you see him starting to kind of become more successful one thing i will say uh, which i disagree with you on is that i think the women in this film are actually shown to be more predatory than the men it's actually uh, uh, during a lot of the sex scenes it's actually the women who instigate it so but that's why that's because it's male fantasy wish fulfillment the whole thing i mean it's it's very much that whole thing that um, only men could have written this yeah but this is the different right so if you look at the carry on films it was always the sid james character lusting after the young girls right uh, they always kind of wanted it that was how it was made out to be but it was always him going after them mm. with this it, there was very much him being quite naive and getting into these kind of these japes where he he is at the mercy of like dominant women all the women in this film are very dominant. Uh, I think there's the, the the one that is different is the uh, the, the police officer, but um, she's the only one that's slightly different. So I actually would say it's 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 not as male dominated. It's not always them instigating it. It's not dirty men looking after uh, dirty old men looking at young girls. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I suppose it's in fairness in terms of literary analysis. There have been people talking about how the film is less about sexual intercourse and more about anxieties. In that Timmy fails to perform, and it becomes more about it. Pl- the comedy is about him not getting anywhere. In a, in a sense, the difference being with something like the Inbetweeners, though, I think, is that the Inbetweeners is it's about like boys who are just being the the the, the comedy is always about them being stupid. Whereas with this. It feels a little bit more like you should be cheering Timmy on for being such a dirty lech. 
that's the, that's the way it feels that you should be going. All the men in the audience should be going, "Hey, go on, son," and all that kind of thing. Whereas in the in-betweeners, you think Jay's he's funny, but you think he's a dick, you know, because the kind of, and and it, and it, that's all fueled by his dad being a dick. So there's a with, difference in terms of the way that that works. With the in-betweeners, is that it, they've always had the idea that what come, what goes around comes around. So, example, whenever Jay starts getting really boasty or too overconfident, he's always brought back down to earth and mm. he's pretty much well punished for being too cocky. Mm. It's, the sa- it's, and it's the same with the other characters. With this, there's not really that kind of consequence in terms of well, Timmy being what, like a lecher. Yeah. So I, 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 didn't, I, I didn't like I wasn't a fan of him personally. And... But, but, but that's, because, that's because you live in a world now where what he does isn't acceptable. You know, and I think what he does isn't isn't acceptable anymore. It, it was in the seventies. You know, in many respects, it is that whole kind of laddish kind of she give a one. He's a, he's a tasty bird, well, that kind of Whoa, kind of thing. Whereas these days, that is sexism, and it's just a bit unsavoury to a lot of people. But then again, you have people like Keith Lemon, whose whole kind of, especially for Sense of Juice, where he's kind of his humour is based around, you know, saying quite horrible things to women and what he wants to do with them and, and, and it's actually very lecherous but it's okay because he's Keith Lemon it's a character it's fine that's how it's seen whether you agree with that or not that, that, you know that's, but he's, that's but he's Keith no I agree but he's Keith Lemon intentional I mean and this, this, is, this is the point was Confessions was it aware of itself and was it made by people who were genuinely thinking this is this is wrong. This is this is sexist. This is tantamount to, you know, being offensive. No, and, and, and whereas I think that's Keith the... Lemon, Lee Francis knows exactly what Keith Lemon is. Yeah. As much as I'm not particularly a fan, there's, there there is there is a, a subtext behind the comedy. Yeah, and I think this is where Confessions falls down. Um, yeah. uh, I'm not saying Confessions is a good film. It's it's not a good film, but there, it could be a really good film, but it loses itself and it it, it falls down badly, and that's because actually. As an audience, while watching it, you actually kind of do root a little bit for Timmy. You kind of realise that actually he's he's being led astray by his brother-in-law. Mm. I mean, the, the the concept is right. So Timmy's living with his brother-in-law and his uh, well with his family and uh, his brother-in-law and his sisters there. Mm. His sister's pregnant, and yet he's kind of helping his brother-in-law get his end away with lots of other women who mm. are listening. And that's all seen as being okay, and that's fine, which is not. And that's kind of where it it, it falls down. The brother-in-law is a dick in this film. Yeah. He he's he's just a dick. And I kind of got the feeling as an audience member watching it, you were kind of going, like, don't be like him. And Well he had a pregnant wife, didn't he? Yeah. And, and he's he, still shagging yeah. whoever he can. And you see he's trying to take Timmy in that way. And you kind of as an audience member watching it, I, I genuinely wanted Timmy not to be like him. And there's there's a bit in the film after his sister gives birth and Timmy's talked to her and he, he talks about how one day he'll have children of his own. Mm. And you see this little, this very short moment, like very quick look where he, he goes, yeah, I will, won't I? And you kind of go, there's hope for him. He's not going to turn into his brother-in-law. And, and at that point, I was like, actually, this is going to be okay. He's going to be fine. But then again, that's not what the film was about. The film was never going to be about Timmy finding a wife, getting married, having kids. Well, it's not the message. Fine. It's not the message that the, no. that the audience they're going it's for not. wants to hear. Because the audience that they're bringing in, with the, the, with the name of the, the film and with the with the idea of how it sold, the post and everything, it's basically, come here, you're going to watch, you're going to get to see naked women. And that's why people went to see. Yeah, so they can yeah. have a mental wank. Yeah. And, and 
going back to the idea of uh, sitcoms that were made into films, mm. this didn't have any uh, premise. This had nothing to come from. So the audience coming this from fresh. Mm. So you're trying to get an audience to come and watch this. They have no understanding of what this concept is. So they call it Confessions of a Window Cleaner and they put half-naked women on the posters. People are going to go and see it mm. because they know what it is. It, it, it doesn't try to be anything other than what it is. Mm. It's, it's, it's lowbrow. It's um, a, a guy trying to get it on with lots of women and you're going to see loads of boobs and very hairy vaginas. And there's a lot of them in this film. <laughs> 70s vaginas. I, I thought Kevin Keegan was in every scene. I would love are you, it. Are you suggesting that Kevin Keegan has a vagina? Or looks like a vagina. <laughs> I, I, think, I, I think Kevin Keegan was doing secret cameos in every scene, just kind of hiding. <laughs> and just going, a bit like, where's Wally? Like, where, where's Keegan? <laughs> <laughs> the idea that, 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 that Timmy, who is this unattractive, skinny, not sexual guy at all, is getting all these women who... They're, they're attractive women. The women in this film are very good looking women. Yeah, they are. But they're also real stereotypes. Like there's the one there's the one who's basically a nympho who's, whose husband's yeah. in the army. There's the one who's who's like a, an English teacher because she yeah, wears the glasses. With the glasses she's, she's, she's got a hair <laughs> yeah. with a bun. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's just yeah. it's like, oh come on, you know. The fact is that pretty much any female character that you well, any female character that you go to clean the windows pretty much ends up being a nymphomaniac. Yeah, exactly. Right. They're, 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 they're all they're all just horny yeah. for sex, even I mean, even if they've got husbands. Yeah, and even even, even um, the girl that he's after suddenly, as soon as like he accidentally proposes, he's like, yeah. I lose sympathy for Timmy the character by the fact that I mean, pretty much most of the time he has the choice to go no, I'll stop. I'm going to clean your windows, not clean windows. But he's not there <laughs> to clean windows. I mean that that and that's yeah. the no, point. no. He's there to clean windows. No, he's not, though. No, he's not. He, 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 he's even not his brother-in-law kind of says, like, we're here to provide a service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The it's, window cleaning is just our cover because actually there's a lot of lonely housewives out yeah, there who need a servicing. Exactly, which is which is the male fantasy, which is what the what the audience want to go and see. They I, want to see a guy who's going to get his end away with every woman he meets. Right? That's a bit crap. I want to watch a film about window cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> you really did pick the right film. Yeah, ne- ne- next week we do the George Formby uh, <laughs> special, so you'll love that one. <laughs> when I'm cleaning windows... Well, it's been called perhaps the best known and most successful British sex film of the era. By who? By people. And it was the top grossing British film of... Citation needed. It's the fact that at the box office, it it made an absolute storm. It made an absolute storm. Yeah, it did well. It did very well. It was a a box office hit. It It had over £30,000 in just one cinema, you know, and it, it it made a lot of money. That's more than United Passions... At all. <laughs> as well as its sequels in the Confession series, it spawned another unrelated series of films which began with Adventures of a Taxi Driver, which was a British sex comedy film starring Barry Evans. Uh, Barry. <laughs> Have you ever heard of Barry Evans? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's actually the guy from, I think it's Please, Please Sir? Mind Your Language. Mind Your Language, thank you. Which was the really racist, yeah, like very dodgy, very 70s. dodgy 70s sitcom with Patrick Truman out of EastEnders. Yes. He's died, actually. He died in 1997. He was only yeah, 53. Patrick Truman's died. No, Barry Evans. Barry Evans from EastEnders is dead. Yeah, he, him too. It was not shown until 1997 on British TV um, by Channel 5 when it came, alive, it came along, and it was the first terrestrial channel to show the entire series of confession films. At this time, the Daily Mail <laughs> newspaper was very sorry, was very crit- I'm not sorry, was very critical of sorry. the sexual content of Channel 5's late night schedule. That's very, to Channel that's 5, very unlikely. Daily, Daily Mail being critical, <laughs> <laughs> referring to Channel 5 as Channel Filth. And the Confession series is filmed from the darkest days of British I can, cinema. I can, I can pretty much imagine the, the meeting where they have, oh, we've got this channel, they show a bit of nudity, oh, and then someone comes up, we can call it Channel Filth, and then there's a group high five from yeah. all these like middle class posh 
Yeah. So I work at the Daily Mail going, Huzzah! 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 We've high five like communists. Loath as I am to say this, however, I kind of agree with the Daily Mail because <gasps> I, I, I know, I, I'm oh, so sorry. <laughs> I am so sorry because I hope they are. crap in my car. Yeah. Most... We, we, we better hurry up and finish this podcast because Tony wants to r- 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 round up all the immigrants. <laughs> <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. In this case, I just I just think they're films that they're not necessarily offensive in that they would they would upset someone, but they are they are just I think indicative of a kind of sexual politics that I think we shouldn't regard as okay, and we shouldn't we, you know we shouldn't look back and go oh and I feel the same way about some carry ons now I have to say not not the earlier ones. But more of the, some of the later ones, I feel the similar way. Oh, I, look I'm, at Timmy. I'm, oh, look, look at Timmy. He's cleaning the windows of the shower room at an all-girls boarding school. Yeah, I mean, the, the, there's one scene where he's looking through the window at what are clearly pretty much just schoolgirls taking their skirts off. And he's going, oh, she, she, she's big for her age. And, and even, it's just like, oh, you, no, no, yeah, no. Carry on camping is still seen as like this classic. And people still show the scene with Barbara Windsor. But in that, she's playing she's, a school She's a schoolgirl. No, I know. And it's not right. And, and if you look back now, it's like that because that was late carry on. That was yeah. 1969, I think, carry on camping. Mm. You know, they, they were done by the mid 70s around the time that this was coming out. That carry-ons were pretty much over at this but, point. But the difference is, and again, I'm, I'm going I'm to fight uh, Confessions corner here because the difference is Timmy is at least supposed to be near their age whereas in Carry On Camping it's again it's the old guys know, looking at the schoolgirls see James and Bernard Breslau in it but... so you know there's, there's a big difference a big difference it's, it... the same, it's the same going back to the in-betweeners if you saw um, one of the in-betweeners getting on with a girl they went to school with it's fine because they're the same age or similar age it's when you, you throw in the the, the the lecherous old man. Oh, no, I, no I, I completely agree. And I think the carry-ons But there's, are, the, there's the explicit reference of um, his brother-in-law, Sydney, because he goes to um, What's-Her-Face, the policewoman, saying, like, oh, I remember you from school and stuff. And I'm like, oh. It, it's just in the age where you are getting men who were Robin Asquith's age in the 70s being arrested for being rapists and child abusers. It's just not, it's just not, it's just not funny anymore. Although Robin Asquith hasn't been arrested. Just he hasn't, no. <laughs> I know, he hasn't. But it's just like, it's just a very unsavoury. But it's interesting when you, to look back on this stuff because there, there is some interesting points to be made. And I think we all agree that the theme tune's great. The tr- theme tune's great. Um, <laughs> That's really funny. This fun. is your life, Timmy Lee. Um, <laughs> so yeah, good points. Confessions of a Window Cleaner can be found on YouTube. If you if you must, oh the quality is awful. If you're the the quality is really bad, but it might be worth watching as a curio. But um, it's NF, NSFW, so don't watch it at work. That's a that's that's a disciplinary disciplinary meeting. <laughs> Bring that one down. <laughs> I, I was really confused because I've never actually heard it like said out loud before. I've only ever read it on a computer. Screen. <laughs> I was like wondering what these letters what? were. What, what's that mean? <laughs> oh, oh sorry, NSFW. It makes sense. Next up, we're gonna. Stay on a similar topic, really, because we're going to have a little bit of a... Confessions of a, uh, confessions of a spice. <laughs> That's, yeah. Shut up and uh, take my money. <laughs> we're going to talk about, briefly, about the British sex comedy genre, because it's an interesting story, really, about this. According to David McGillivray, uh, who is a actor... Ten times fast. <laughs> who's an actor-producer, playwright, screenwriter, and film critic... In his history of the British sex film, Doing Rude Things, which I have heard is a really good book, actually. It's really worth reading. The first ever British sex comedy was a, a film called Mary Had a Little, dot, 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 in 1961. Well, 
Um, no, it, a little what? It was, hang on, we'll get there. It stars Agnes Laurent, Hazel Court, and Jack Watling. Uh, it takes its not title, the Jack Watling. Not the Jack Watling. Wow. It takes its title from the nursery rhyme, Mary Had a Little Lamb, no surprise. And he's about a slick impresario who tries unsuccessfully to win a bet with a psychiatrist over the production of a perfect baby via hypnotism. What the fuck? <laughs> that is that is bizarre. That is that's actually bizarre. And we decided to do confessions instead of that thing. <laughs> yeah, now... God damn it. 1961, that would have been very, very tame, I would imagine. Bridging the gap between documentary nudist films and the later sex comedies was the film The Naked World of Harrison Marks. George Harrison Marks' love of music hall and slapstick found its way into this spoof documentary biopic. So that's George Harrison, the George... Not George Harrison, George Harrison Marks. He was an English glamour photographer and director of nudist and later pornographic films. So probably the kind of films that you saw in in Carry On Camping, which we mentioned earlier, which was... I think there was a scene where they're all watching, at the beginning, a film about a nudist camp. Well, it was probably that kind of thing. Yeah, well, it was very much that kind of... like There wasn't the internet. There wasn't kind of ready seen kind of porn around so people were going to see these natures and films yeah. as a kind of a you know yeah a bit, a cheeky, a bit. cheeky little release cheeky little release the precursor to British sex comedies was Norman Wisdom's last starring role would you believe in What's Good for the Goose uh, also known as Girl Trouble and the poster the poster the the, <laughs> the reimagined poster is this Oh, that's that's <laughs> that is amazing. That that's um, that, that's going on the website. You need to go on. Yeah, that's amazing. We, we will put the lady. Me taking a photo of this right now. It's on the Wikipedia article, but we'll, we'll put this on the website as well. So uh, this is a reimagined. Um, so somebody's done this. Some, well, somebody has, has made this poster for what's good for the okay. goose based on modern photoshopping. You can clearly tell, right? Because it's clearly a picture of Norman Wisdom in something like whoops, where's my trousers or whatever. I'm gonna say actually for a moment I thought that was the genuine. <laughs> Her. Yeah, I know. That's she's, what I thought. <laughs> she's blatantly not from 1969, surely. Well, no, yeah, she's from like like early 80s. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It was written and directed by Menahem Golan. <laughs> the film features pop music by Electric Banana, uh, otherwise known as The Pretty Things. And Norman Wisdom plays a 50-something assistant bank manager called Timothy Bartlett, whose marriage has become lack Another Timmy? Are all Timmy's perverts? This is your life, Timmy Bartlett. If you are a Timmy out there, can you let us know, are you a pervert? <laughs> Let us know on our Twitter or Facebook again. <laughs> you can email us at I am, t- I am when, Timmy. When he, go, when he goes to a banker's conference, that's not a euphemism, in a coastal town, he meets a fun-loving female student called Nikki, played by Sally Geeson, with whom he has a brief affair and abandons his work responsibilities to have a perfect day with her, having fun, taking in all the seaside attractions and recapturing his youthful energy. That sounds a bit like Reggie Perrin as well. It's got. It sounds like that midlife midlife crisis. Man having a midlife crisis. It's, actually, no, no, does it's it's. It reminds me a little of Lost in Translation, only in a British seaside resort. Well, yeah, But instead of karaoke, it's got candy floss. Can I just say, I'll just say Lost in Translation with Norman Wisdom instead of Bill Murray. <laughs> <laughs> that would That'd be, be amazing. Be that would be amazing. And, and uh, I can imagine the last bit where she's like, whispering into his ear, Hey, up, lass, speak up, <laughs> I can't hear you. It's the Grimsdale! It's the Grimsdale! <laughs> what, what? <laughs> There are apparently are two. Versions, there are apparently two versions of the film. The 98-minute cut version was released in the UK, while the uncensored version, which is 105 minutes, which shows nudity from Sally Geeson, was released in continental Europe. You know, the continental Europeans—they're able to take all the all the nudity. Oh, the, nutty, the nutty, 
Ruthie, oh what? my god, I've had a cheap butty edition. <laughs> oh no, you see, they loved it because Kevin Keegan was really big in concert. <laughs> I just can't believe that Norman Wisdom was in a smutty comedy. But the thing, I mean, you just don't associate yeah, but, but this is again. Against his better wisdom. When was it made again, sorry? 1969. So 1969, right? So again, we go back to that. 69, dude. Yeah. Literally, right? If you think about all the films that were there, that. Right, it was kind of it was popular. It was what was going on. And even if you look at the horror genre, you got the Hammer Horrors. Again, it was young women getting their boobs out a lot. Yeah, you know, it's it it's it's where kind of cinema was at that time. Even if you look at American cinema, you know, there was a lot more nudity in in in, in films in the seventies in coming from America as well. It was just the way the kind of world was there. Well, it's true. I mean, it, it, one of the things that was said about Confessions, and it, it applies to the the general sex comedy era, is that it it's contemporary horror films had largely abandoned the costume drama format of their predecessors and those careful class distinctions associated with early earlier eras in favour so, of contemporary settings. So, so Virgin Witch, House of Whipcord, um, which is set in a modelling agency, Dracula AD 1972, and Frightmare in nightclubs. So you've got a lot of characters who are more socially mobile in, in horror films going on that are in so, those places. So is that, is this, is this like the next, like, level on from is it like Lady Chatley's Lover and Fanny Hill or whatever well, well they're well they're more they're more bawdy kind of old fashioned romps aren't they but, but, they're, but, they're, but they're, 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 they predate they predate oh yeah. they're hundreds of years old okay, like Fanny yeah. Hill's like the 1790s Lady Chatley's not that old it's, it's like uh, 19... was that D.H. Lawrence yes so, so that's like 1911 so, or something yeah like that. so I mean it's only like about 100, 100 years but it was so successful. They said it's that kind of history of like um, where people had copies and they were hiding it under their mattress because they didn't want people to see this smutty book. Um, so Fifty Shades of their day. Yeah, 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 yeah they yeah, would have been. They would have been. It was. Um, and actually, if you think of like successful films that have been out recently that's had that kind of you know critics hated but was really successful, then you've got to say Fifty Shades of Grey is one of those. Yeah. Sex sells at the end of the day. People well, like a bit of smut. Lady Chatley's Lover was nineteen twenty eight, but Fanny Hill was seventeen forty eight. So you know th- th- that's how far you're going back with a lot of this. But if you think of ni- so nineteen twenty eight, you had Lady Chatley's Lover, which was just kind of it's a bit risky, kind of suggested. Fast forward like forty years later, and you've suddenly got these these confessions books. Which I wrote from the point of view of the, the the writers talking about something that's happened to them. So you have this kind of it's the next stage along from um, this oh you know oh there's a, there's a little bit of sex there's a little bit of sex to four years later oh they're just really going at it all the time. So it's 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 gone kind of to the extreme. Yeah. Um, so it's in in relation to how successful Ladies Chatley was. It started to take different different turns as well. Percy was a film directed by Ralph Thomas, who also directed some of the Carry Ons, I believe, and starred Hugh Bennett, Denham Elliott. Elkie Sommer and Britt Eklund. The film, is a, the film is about a successful penis transplant. That's actually a decent cast. For it's it's not bad, is it? An innocent and shy young man, Bennett, whose penis is mutilated in an accident and has to be amputated, wakes up after an operation to find out that it has been replaced by a womanizer's, which is very large. The rest of the movie is about its new owner following in his predecessor's footsteps and meeting all the women who are able to recognise it. <laughs> there was a sequel called Percy's Progress, released in 1974. They made a sequel. They made a sequel, yeah. Wow. Um, wow. You know, and people involved in that, like Ian Lafrenet, Harry H. Corbett wrote it. You know What? As in Steptoe. As in Albert, uh, uh, Harry Steptoe, yeah. Whatever. Oh, I, th- I thought it was like Sooty. Harry- uh, that was Matthew Corbett. <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> No, 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 was his dad Harry Corbett? I think he's, he was, yeah. His dad was, was he? Like, yeah, I think Matthew Corbett. Hang on, we've got to Corbett. find this out. I don't, I, don't, I don't think they're the same person, but they're not yeah, the Yeah, no, he is, yeah. Because like, Matthew Corbett, like, overtook from his dad. 
I'm, I'm going to make this up. As no, if I, no, I don't think so. I'm going to make this up as if I actually know it, but that's why Harry H. Corbett had to take the H because Harry Corbett had <laughs> taken the name. At this point, 1974-ish, to move with the times, the Carry On series added nudity to its saucy seaside, seaside postcard innuendo, which is what I thought we talked about earlier. Not series producer Peter Rogers saw the George Seagal movie Loving and added his two favourite words to the title, which is making Carry On Loving, the 20th in the series. Now, Carry On Loving's an interesting one because that really is that's definitely one of the most risque carry-ons. I think that and Carry On Behind are probably, and Carry On Camping are the three most risque carry-ons. Carry On Camping's the best one because it's funnier. Carry On Camping, despite the smut in it and the questionable thing with the schoolgirls, is actually very funny. Carry On Loving is, I mean, yeah, it's very, 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 you know, smutty and close to the bone. It's, it was followed by Carry On Girls, again, which is very, very, based around a Miss World-style beauty contest which was one of the last ones and that is there's near enough nudity in that almost it's got women with enormous breasts strutting about in in you know skimpy things and the whole last the whole last if I remember rightly the whole last scene has you know women like there's there's, there's a big show in a, in a, on a pier and, and they get they get soaked because the the, the 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 fire extinguisher goes off and all, all this so it's all very 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 innuendo and that links into the confession series so it's it's a it's a step on. And then British sex comedy films became mainstream with Carry On England, which was 1976, which was about an experimental mixed-sex mixed anti-aircraft battery in wartime. And they basically were just shagging all the way through. Compare that to Carry On Sergeant, which was the first ever Carry On, like 20 years before. I mean, it's, it's, it's a world away. Oh, yeah, you can a see, world away. And, and it's actually a, a documentation of what the world was kind of going through at the time uh, and because of what the 60s and the 70s were and how much the world had kind of changed mm. within the space of about 10, 15 years. Well, yeah. But you can also argue, I mean, if you look at the, the Bond films around that time where you've kind of got the, the, the women who presented the Bond Well, that was exactly girls. at the same time. That yeah. was like 1977, 1978. Yeah. And, and, and you suddenly get the Bond girls who are wearing very skimpy clothes, yeah, yeah. have the suggestive names... It's 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 all kind of there, um, mm. which is a very nice tie-in to the fact that the uh, the writer of the Confessions film, um, uh, Christopher Wood, Christopher Wood. Uh, ha- actually uh, went on to write uh, Moonraker and Spy Love Me, Sp- uh, Spy Love Me, I believe. Yeah, so he actually went on, which I think is quite fascinating that this guy who wrote all this kind of steamy stuff that Timmy Lee was getting up to to actually write all this steamy stuff that James Bond was well the thing with. is you, were, you... They, were, were they Roger Moore yeah. yeah and that's exactly what I was about to yeah. say exactly yeah. that, well, they, they I, are... I'd, like to point out, I'd like to point out that um, Tony is fully aware that I do not like any of the Roger Moore films yes <laughs> you don't whereas I do and I'm very aware that they are sh- really really sleazy in, in many ways and, and creepy in, to some extent certainly as Roger Moore gets older but I grew up watching those, and Spy Who Loved Me, Spy Who Loved Me is a great Bond film regardless, but it is full of smut. <laughs> As is Moonraker, you know, and they're both very much of their time, very very 70s. But I love the fact, and I would have loved to have watched Robert Asquith play James Bond. <laughs> that would have been just, you know, forget Sean Connery, that's your best Bond right there. Oh my God. Robert Asquith is James Bond. Come this on. is your life, James, James Bond. Bond. <laughs> Best Bond thing Best ever. Bond thing Get ever. you, Sam Smith. That's how it should go. <laughs> it started to all come to a, a head, as it were. Hey. Um, hey. Um, in Carry On Emmanuel, which was the, the last, well, the last but one Carry On. Carry On Columbus was the aborted attempt to re- re-franchise it in the 90s, which was awful. But Carry On Emmanuel was, was a, effectively a fusion of the, the Emmanuel sex series, which was 
the, the well-known sort of softcore kind of series at the time yeah, and of them. the carry-ons. And it only had <laughs> it only had Kenneth Williams, as far as I'm aware. Actually, no, I'm telling a lie. It had Joan Sims, it had Kenneth Connery, it had Peter Butterworth, and had quite a lot of the, the regulars. But it was, I mean, it was really, it was just, it was basically softcore. But carry on, carry on, Emmanuel. Uh, but I've just been thinking because what was actually going on in America at the time in in cinemas? What was going on in America in the seventies in the cinemas mm. was films like Deep Throat. Yeah, that was a, that was these these are genuine. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Kind of like pornographic films yeah. that were actually in the mainstream. So actually, mm. what we were doing in sort of Britain at the time yeah. is kind of tame by comparison to yeah, what yeah. the Americans were doing. Yeah, in many, it, well, it was. It had that whole sort of you never, you would never see anything. It was very suggestive, yeah. and it was, it was like it's that whole British kind of thing. As all, we'll, we'll get, we'll go so far with it, and then oh, oh no, we're British, we can't. Oh no, 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 because there was that, you yeah. know, there was that level because of, the sex scenes in Confessions aren't sexy at all. No, it's, God, it's, no. it's basically just kind of like it's naked women, but cutting back to Robin Asquith putting some kind of funny face, like the the, the bit where they're kind of having sex in the kitchen. And the, the suds have gone everywhere, and it's just like mm. his backside going up and down in suds. There's nothing sexy about that. It's no, no, purely no. for comedic effect. Yeah, it really, yeah, it really is. Um, talking about the British sex comedies, did you know they uh, almost made another Confessions film in the early nineties? <laughs> this is genuinely. Uh, yes. Go on, no, 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 no. Did they yes, really? What, they, what was it called? I can't remember what it was called, but it was set in Gulf War Two. Yeah. Oh come on. No, it was. It was uh, Confessions. It, confessions of a Gulf War. <laughs> <laughs> Confessions, confessions from the Gulf War. I think it was like Confessions of a Squad. Oh my god! I think that's what it was. With Robin Asquith. I, I don't know. It never got financed. That's, um, that's just so inappropriate. <laughs> yeah, I know. But if you think about it, that's the same. Uh, I can't. I don't know when um, 
Carry on Cleo came out. Carry on Columbus. Columbus 1992. So, so about the same time. So the same it was time. that kind of revival of, of, of the 70s kind of. Wow. And again, talking about how the British cinema uh, had gone right. into decline, that those were the films they were thinking of making. And then I think it was 94 that um, uh, Four Weddings came out. So within a space of two years, we, we went from. You know, well, it had already effectively died off because it became it became linked with sleaze and sexploitation. Yeah. Producer director Kenneth F. Rowles first made a copycat cashing in the mid seventies called "The Ups and Downs of a Handyman," um, which hilariously starred Bob Todd from um, Benny Hill. You know, the, the, the bald guy that Benny Hill would run around slap on the head. <laughs> right. His next film, however, "Take an Easy Ride." purports to be a public information film warning of the dangers of hitchhiking, but is actually a sexploitation film showing young girls being sexually assaulted and murdered. Although Raoul said he had to add those scenes on request of the movie's distributor. But then it was it, there was a lot of other films like Dreams of 13, The Younger the Better, Come Play With Me, that played in Soho, but then Margaret Thatcher came in in 1979, and the E.D. Le- Levi was, was, um, was abolished in 85. Now, the E.D. Levi was a tax on box office receipts in the UK intended to support the British film industry. And it started in the, in the 57, 57 and terminated in 85. That could have had a knock-on effect as to why the British film industry was in the shit in the 80s. And then it was only in the 90s when it started coming back again. So it all kind of ties in together. And then effectively killed off the genre then. Okay. And then it would have gone into basically porn in shops. And that was it. And then you didn't get that as much. You didn't get the kind of... You didn't get those cheesy kind of films after that. And like you say, an attempt to make a, a new confession just didn't happen. Because by then... People were, you know, that's three years before four weddings. I mean, they're, they're, they're so far apart in terms yeah. of what they were trying to achieve. But it's quite interesting now, if you look, as you said, going back to things like The Inbetweeners, which I think is the most successful British film. Oh, it might be now. Uh, well, in terms of what it's done yeah. within the, uh, a British film, within, you know, it's kind of, that's come up a, a long way since things like Four Weddings and Funeral mm. and that kind of Richard Curtis style. Yeah. England. So are we actually kind of heading back more to that kind of, have we started to become a little bit more relaxed Maybe. in terms of, of, of what we can see on screen? I don't know. Interesting. It's an interesting genre, and sexploitation as a whole is, you know, it's it, it's a bit unsavoury, a lot of it, but there's some really interesting stuff, so it's worth having a look at the history of sex comedy in, in film, because there's some there's some very interesting stories. Yeah, check out the sex. <laughs> right, well, that's that done. Let's, let's pick another flick, shall we? Spice World is a 1997 British-American musical comedy film directed by Bob Spears and written by Kim Fuller and Jamie Curtis. The film stars pop group The Spice Girls, who all play themselves. The light-hearted comedy, made in a similar vein to the Beatles' A Hard Day's Night in 1964, depicts a series of fictional events leading up to a major concert at London's Royal Albert Hall, liberally interspersed with dream sequences and flashbacks, as well as surreal moments and humorous asides. The film features Richard E. Grant, Claire Rushbrook, Naoko Mori, Meatloaf, Barry Humphreys and Alan Cumming in supporting roles. And filming featured several 14-hour shooting sessions and a constant heavy media presence due to the Spice Girls' large popularity at the time. It was a huge hit, became a massive box office hit in America and took in a total 77 million at the box office and over 100 million when it includes DVD sales on a budget of 25 million. And despite being a huge success, it received almost unanimous negative reviews okay, I don't believe star signs you see you wouldn't because you're an Aquarian Aquarians don't believe in anything well I don't believe that either oh no I can't find my boot I think I've lost them it's always the same I never know what to wear yeah it must be really hard for you Victoria 
You know, Charles decides whether to wear the little Gucci dress, the little Gucci dress, or the little Gucci dress. Exactly. I know. Why don't you wear the little Gucci dress? That's a good idea. Thanks. Spice World, then. This is pure cool Britannia 90s when the, when the, as we were talking about, the 90s film industry in Britain was starting to revive. Come on, is it any good? Well, you mentioned in your first episode about train spotting, about yeah. train spotting becoming one of the key cultural landmarks of the 90s. Yeah. And, you, and you make reference to the Spice Girls being a key part. Yeah, they, which reference. they were, definitely. And I remember when it first came out, being a wee lad of about 12, of like a. You're also <laughs> Scottish? Yeah. <laughs> oh, He's little Jimmy Crunky. <laughs> I do remember. I do remember a review saying. Do you want to take your hat off before you carry on reading? <laughs> I do remember a review saying that it's not as bad as people often expect it to be. I don't think it's that bad. I watched it last week, and it was the first time I watched it since I saw it in the cinema. Wow! In That's going back a bit. That's going back a bit. And you know what? It's it's not a great film. It's not an average film. It's not awful. It doesn't deserve. It doesn't deserve this massive amount of negative stuff it seems to get. Why though? Why? I mean, if 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 it's if it's not awful, then why why were critics at the time saying that it's rubbish? I think it was coming towards the point where um, the Spice Girls were reaching they, their second album. I think was like more or less the same track to the film. Mm, I think it was, yeah, because yeah. it's called Spice World. I think. Yeah, I think it was slowly towards the the point of popularity of the Spice Girls, where as you happen as has happened many times in this country, um, the media will start to turn on someone. Or something. Yeah. The um, British thing, you, they get too big and we knock yeah, them down again. Yeah, yeah. they'll knock them down again. Which is why the, it's quite ironic that actually that's one of the main plots of the film. Yeah. Which is the media mm. trying to bring down the Spice Girls. So I think, I think, and from 2008, I think Spice, well, was it Spice Mania? I don't know what it's called. I think okay. it was Spice Mania, yeah. yeah I think, I think so. so. Yeah. I think Spice Mania. I think near the end. <laughs> you look really puzzled. I've never heard the Spice Mania. You must have heard of Spice that, Mania. It was, it, was, it was all kind of girl power. Girl power yeah, but I, I some, spi- no, I've heard of Spice oh, no, Mania. I, I, think, I think the problem is that, that that kind of like if a band becomes half successful, they kind of just put Mania on the end of it, like Beatle Mania. So One Direction just, Mania. Yeah. Take that. Doesn't mania. work, does it? Yeah. Take that. Yeah. I know. I've heard of Spice Arctic Monkeys Mania. mania. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't quite got the same appeal as the Spice. Girl Imagine Dragons Mania. Although I would actually pay to see the Arctic Monkeys. Coldplay, man. Sounds like a disease. I, I, would, I would pay money at the box office to go see Arctic Monkeys riding around in a big bus. <laughs> but no, I think I think it is quite easy to criticise the film for not being really a film in terms of like nar- a narrative with character arcs and everything. In terms of spectacle, okay, probably well at the time it's probably the most the British can afford at the time. But for what for what the Spice Girls are and what they represent, it's probably the closest they probably would have got to having something decent made about them. Well, it, it's it's ex- well, the film is exactly what it, it says it is, right? It's basically this is the Spice Girls on screen for an hour and a half. Who's your target audience? Spice Girls fans. Is it the best film ever? No. To a Spice Girl fan, is it the best film ever? Probably. Probably. Not. <laughs> yeah, but that does that doesn't mean that it that it that it's a good film though. I mean, this this is this is the thing. It it. It could have done things. It could have done things better. But in terms of in terms of showing the Spice Girls, I, I think it was it was pretty good at showing who they were. It kind of set them all up as as who their characters were. It was quite easy to kind of understand. I've got issues with some of them because I, I think some of the, the they tried to kind of. Uh, we talked about this earlier that the fact that, that Jerry's made out to be the, the intellectual one. Mm. But then again, I can't argue that 
the five girls at the start of the film are the exact same as they are. Oh yeah, there's, there's no there's no character development in terms of, of, of you don't see them becoming the Spice Girls. There's a bit where they show you the flashback before they became the Spice Girls. Yeah. But uh, in fact, the the, the, the character development is that um, that that by the end of it, the people around them have changed rather than they've changed. So I, 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 this is from someone who does who doesn't think it's completely awful. But the film, the film, there's a there's a great there's a great scene actually at the start where as questionably active as it acted as it is, there's a conversation about the, where the girls stop, talk about their one word characteristics, where like I'm not going to be seen as a baby forever, or why well, don't know why I'm always scary, or um, why am I always sporty, blah blah blah. And there's like a kind of almost metatextual conversation about not wanting to be defined by that one word. Then there's, the, there's that vision, vision that goes on for far too long with them, where they dress as someone else. And then that kind of line of thinking goes away. Um, it, then the film seems to forget that at one point it was asking it was asking us to look beyond who they are as the as sporty, scary, posh, baby, ginger. Yeah, I I, I agree. Uh, but the thing is, I, I I don't think that scene's there to kind of show that they, they they they're not happy with who they are. I think that's more of a kind of introducing the characters to people who aren't there. So I'm, who's going to see this film? So it's Spice Girls fans, and at that age, it's Spice Girls fans and their parents. So their parents might not know exactly who the Spice Girls are the and parents, know about them. The parents will definitely know. The well, parents. yeah, because I think it's difficult to remember now. I think we can't tend to forget actually how big the Spice Girls were at the they, time. They were enormous. They, they were Beatles massive. size. Yeah, yeah, the yeah time. no, yeah, no. They, Everyone knew they were. Yeah, they were like worldwide phenomenon. Yeah. You know, it's it's they've kind of lost a bit uh, over over time. It, it tends to have. Uh, I, I think it's tends to have fallen off, and I don't think they've kind of held up over time well. Uh, and will, that will come back around, though. I think. Yeah, yeah. We haven't quite got there yet. You haven't got back to nostalgia, but we will. I think within the next ten years, we'll get back to nineties Cool Britannia as as we start to rebel further against the austerity and this kind of climate. All right, we'll, Mr. We, Daily Mail, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> we'll try. And, I'm trying. I'm making the point that I don't agree with the Daily Mail now. Yeah. But no, I think I think it will cycle back around. I think that will become bigger again. Yeah. Um, so I, I think okay. So that that scene where they're kind of saying this is who we are, you know, or people just pigeonhole us, but actually. The, the whole uh, concept of the Spice Girls is these five girls who all auditioned to be in a band and they were all given gimmicks. Right, this is what you are, this is what you are. You know, and it, it's really sad when Jerry's got nothing more than like, a, well, you've got nothing, let's throw your hair ginger and we'll call you ginger because that's a spice. So, <laughs> literally, that's all they got for her, which is why in the film they just got her down as, oh, well, she's intelligent and read books. Right, I, I was around at the time. I remember liking Jerry back in the day, but I didn't like her because she read books. No, it wasn't that. No, no. Right? There she, were two reasons you liked Jerry. Exactly. And she makes that quite obvious throughout the film as well, yeah, that yeah. that's that's why you know people yeah. know who she is. Yeah. So, yeah, so I think there's very much kind of uh, kind of that. What you've got to remember is, is is one of the other big phenomenons at the time in the late 90s was Teletubbies. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right? Now, the Teletubbies <clears throat> are these four characters, <clears throat> all very colourful, <clears throat> aimed at children, and, and they all kind of had like their everyone had a favourite Teletubby mine was Poe <laughs> <laughs> what's wrong with Dipstick so you've got these four uh, colourful characters who are around the children in this film the Spice Girls if you look at them they're always in very bright coloured clothes everything around them is really bright very very turned up to 11 in terms of colour uh, and, and everything around them else seems to be quite grey when it goes back to the flashback of what the Spice Girls were like before they became the Spice Girls they're not in bright clothes, they're in their normal clothes and whatever. So it's that kind of playing into their market, it's playing into a children's market. This film, I, I presume, had like Spice Girl dolls that you could get afterwards. 
It was merchant, oh, yeah, merchandising yeah. drink. The whole Spice Girls Sounds was a cold. big, big merchandising. It's it's actually an, a brilliant kind of marketing scheme by the management company that put them together. That came up with this band and the concept and the film and, and the film plays them up completely. The one thing that all through the whole thing I had no problem with was the girls, right? Spice Girls in this are great. Their music, when you look back, is great. I mean, no, it's you know really, it's really, really great pop. You know, what, you know what scared me? A lot of the song, well, the, al- the second album is the um, pretty much the same track to the film as well. Yeah, yeah. It's named after it. And a lot of the album tracks that are less known, they start playing it and I still, I still know the words. Yeah, you, know, you do. And, and it's yeah. great. It's really, really good pop music when you look back. So I've got no issue with them. I've got no issue with the music. I don't necessarily have even any issue with them just dicking about, you know, being the Spice Girls because the film, one of the big clear things in this film is that it's, it's very, very, like you said earlier, it's very meta. It knows exactly what it's doing in that yeah. sense. It is not just, it's not just a tale of the Spice Girls. It's about the, who the Spice Girls are and it's that knowing kind of understanding that you know who they are, we know who they are, we're going to play up to that and have, have a, bit of a, a bit of a look at yeah. that. I mean, it, it's very, very welcoming in how, how much they are taking Make, taking the piss out of well yeah and you, I mean, you only have to look at the, at the last last moment when the credits are rolling when they look into the camera and they literally talk to us yeah. and they go oh you at the back with the dress yeah you know, stop it's, hey, it's, exactly a film that didn't know about that wouldn't do that kind of thing my problem with this is that they made it a fucking knockabout comedy right all the rest of it doesn't matter all you got I mean it's Cameo City right yeah. almost everyone in the I mean you, you sent me an article Dawson about Dominic West being yeah. in it now he literally is blinking you'll miss him you did miss him I think didn't you yeah I, I didn't well I didn't he's basically right. the photographer during yeah. the scene you on a bit where they're all talking about oh, right. everything he's the photographer but the whole thing with it and you've got tons and tons of cameos right some of them have the odd good line some of them have no point but I just all the time that those things were happening I was thinking this isn't funny why is this happening I'm not really bothered about these people. I just would rather see the Spice Girls. And I kept thinking to myself, why, why, why aren't we just watching a basically a kind of almost documentary about them? Because I think that would have been far more interesting than this weird... I mean, you know... It's, I, I disagree. It's, no, it's I just got a lot of guff to it and a lot of things in it that I was like, well, what is the point? I just couldn't get into it. I was, I was much happier when they were on screen singing. I, think I, I quite like the, ta- the town in places. I quite liked it. Some of the jokes were a lot more missed than hit. But I think there are some things in it that hit. I mean, I, I really do like uh, Richard O'Brien in this. I think Richard O'Brien has... There's two kind of jokes that have resonated with me that I forgot were in this film that I, I sometimes often remember. The bit with the aliens, which is a, is very off-kilter in itself. It's a bit creepy as well, yeah. actually. Yeah, it's a creepy where they kind of... Like they're, they're, they're a bit weird and scary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Those aliens. Yeah, and the aliens themselves. Are. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, like, but there's like the line where they're asking, can you sign it? And it's like the name. Because is that three Ks or four? And then Malcy goes, it's four. And then there's the bit with Barry Humphreys and Richard O'Brien, where Richard O'Brien's trying to prove that he's um, very good. He goes, and this is uh, you in the, the lift, picking your nose. And this is you in the behind the bike sheds when you were 12. Yeah, <laughs> and for some reason, I remember I remember watching that line when I was about twelve, and I, I'm pissing myself laughing, laughing at that line. Yeah, 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 I, I, yeah. I, I love the kind of the Barry Humphreys character in this, which is basically Max just Ma- well, no yeah. Rupert Murdoch, and a bit of Max Clifford. Well, his name's kind of a, a take on Max Clifford, but he's like this Australian kind of like newspaper mogul, yeah, who's basically set out to destroy the Spice Girls. Mm. And I love the fact that, that that he could have they could have he, he could have just been like oh here's Dave Edna as another cameo, but they didn't. They had him actually play the character, mm. and, and again he was the ultimate villain. He was the bad guy, and mm. you know um, I mean 
Roger Moore, you could argue, was also kind of semi bug I'll leave the Roger Moore bit to you because I know you'll love that part of the film. Well, what the fuck was that about? <laughs> I mean, all the way through, Roger Moore is basically playing effectively like a cross between Charlie from Charlie's Angels, Blofeld, and I don't know what the fuck. He, he, he was sat there, and as you pointed out, every scene he's got a different animal. Yeah. Right. I, I just can't get the image of him suckling a pig out of my head <laughs> while talking in spy code like the goose flies across the midnight dawn when the owl is in its sheet it's like what right, no, what right. is going on right look at that on paper okay we're going to get Roger Moore in every scene is going to be like stroking or touching a different animal and he's going to just talk in stuff that makes no sense <laughs> you look at that you go that's gold that's brilliant <laughs> Actually, say that. but it's not that it didn't make me laugh but I was thinking what, what is this about but why that's, that's, why is this in this film but that's the whole film the whole film is basically just it's it's very surreal and because of it the whole it is surreal like, yeah. and, and because of the whole kind of is it a film is it not a film because there's bits which you kind of because there's the bits where the two characters are actually pitching what the film's going to be they're going to make a film about the Spice Girls What's this film going to be? And then they do the whole layers where they kind of discuss what's going to happen. Oh, and they with, the, with the, the chase. Yeah, um, the chase at the end, which I think is actually absolutely actually, brilliant. It, yeah, that was actually better than I um, remember it being. Um, so you've got that kind of, you, you've got those those levels there. It reminds me of like, you mentioned it when you did the summary of like TV shows like The Monkeys, that general kind of, hey, we're us, but we're not really us. And this, is what, this is what our lives really like. But you know, it's never meant to be realistic. You know, they don't get on a bus and it suddenly becomes the TARDIS. Yeah, that's yeah, that, that, that bus is ridiculous. Yeah. It, it's not normal. It's not <laughs> and the fact that the Spice Girls are actually all presented as these kind of like, very childlike figures. They are very like, they're children. Yeah. And the, the, the manager's there to kind of make sure, look after them and make sure they're actually doing what they should be doing. And, you know, and, and they keep getting into, oh, we only just want to have fun and we want to have a good time. But people keep telling us we can't have fun. Mm. Let's steal a, a speedboat. Um, <laughs> so it, they reminded me of the St. Trinians yeah there's a hint of that I've not, I've not watched them but it's that, it's, it's that kind of like, uh, like that, those kind of like we're, we're teenage girls and we're rebellious uh, and, and just we get, we get into all these I, I, I do think though despite the fact it's episodic and it's all over the place it does have a good message I mean it, it does have a good message for young, for young women and young people in that you know they, they do val- ultimately value their pregnant friend yeah. above what their own interests yes. and very yeah, much so, yeah they go like yeah we're going to be godparents to this uh, this kid yeah, yeah. and um, we're going to be we're going to be good friends we're going to, we're, we're going to like risk our um, our like biggest tour to date yeah. and we're going to send our heavily nine month pregnant friend to a club yeah. and leave yeah and leave her stood upstairs so I was assuming they had to take her pregnant friend up some metal stairs in crowds and then they left her there to go downstairs and dance to their own song yeah all right. Well, sometimes it, it loses focus, but <laughs> it's like the thing is that, that that's the bit of the film that I have the biggest problem with, right? Because that's the bit where they're trying to insert a bit of heart in there, a bit of yeah. plot as well. Yeah, a bit of plot, or the, a bit of or the narrative that, can, that yeah. generates. And actually, that with. and that's where it fails. And that's yeah. where it falls down because actually, no one really cares about this. Right? I, I, I actually cringed at the bit where like the, the pregnant friend turns up for the first time and she went, "Oh, he's left me." Oh dear. Yeah, man. that was awful. And it that was, was really so, bad. Oh, so bad. Oh, I should have known. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and yeah, the father of my baby. Yeah, just the father of my off. baby. Oh well, we got a concert on Saturday. Yay. Yeah, and you know, and you kind of go, okay, it doesn't, it didn't need that. There needed to be a way for them to show actually friendships more important than, than yeah, anything yeah. else. That's kind of where they were trying to go with it. Mm. But they could have done it without the pregnant friend and just did the bit where they all walk out because uh, you know under the pressure they're under, and then they go back to where they came from and realise that their friendship what came first. Mm. That that would have been fine with me, and I'd have liked that a lot more than what actually they did with it. Yeah, the, I didn't. I didn't realise. I didn't actually realise that it's Tosh from Torchwood. Tosh from Torchwood. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's loads. There's loads of cameos. One interesting one was that 
Gary Glitter yeah. filmed a four-minute cameo yeah. as himself, but shortly before the film was to released, he was arrested on child porn fences, and obviously now we know that he's one of the worst. The Spice Girls and the production team agreed that his cameo should be deleted from the final print. This was to prevent prosecution for contempt of court, as Glitter's appearance could be prejudicial to any trial for child sex abuse. I've never read that. The, I've got no clue what that means. Well... So the idea, basically, that if, if, if people are fans of the Spice Girls, they're going to see him in this film, and they see him as this kind of lovable character who's kind of... of you know, all happy, happy, yeah, and then they yeah, don't yeah. see him in court, then they'll take that in, into mind with them that actually yeah. he's not as bad as he seems because he was in the Spice Girl film. Right. No, the performance of Glitter's leader of the gang, however, was retained. And it is a bit weird when you when you listen to them singing it. Whenever I hear that song now, it's weird. Also, it's, also, the fact that they've got like naked men dancing behind them. Yeah. Well, there's actually the heart... At one point, they're in assless chaps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Frank Bruno was originally cast as the tour bus driver, which he ultimately went to Meatloaf. Withdrew from the film after a security guard prevented his son Franklin from having an on-set photo taken with the girls. To be fair, I think Meatloaf's one of the be- one of the funnier. And he has the best line when when he yeah. turns and he goes, "I won't do that." <laughs> I laughed. That was the only time I laughed at. Like. No, there is actually some genuinely funny lines in there. Uh, my my favourite whole scene. There's two scenes which I, I I really love in there. There's the one where they go and visit the boy in hospital. And they're going, uh, uh, hi Malcolm, I'm, I'm Jerry. And, and then Victoria goes, and I'm Victoria Malcolm! <laughs> and then they do the bit where it's like, um, Jerry, why don't you take off your top? And he goes, well, there's no point, his eyes are closed. At which point the boy's eyes like, oh, <laughs> It's so clever. I remember, I do, it's, I remember it's, that from when yeah, I first saw it. Yeah, and it's, it's really good. And again, it's that kind of humour for the parents. Because there's a lot of saucy humour in this. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of kind of jokes about boobs and, you know, and there's like the very much playing on the fact that they've got like what what they. Emma seemed to always be sucking on something. Yeah, I mean that that was something I noticed that her. I don't know whether I just noticed they, it because they, well, it's Emma. And maybe, she's Emma. but they they did sexualise her a bit too much for me sometimes, Emma. And given that she's Baby Spice, yeah, there were there was there was some real there were some risque moments there where I was like, oh, I don't know about this. Is this right? I don't know if I should but be again, laughing that, at that, this. That's because they're played in the film. As like they're very childlike, yeah. where in reality Emma Button was a, you know, she's a lady. Um, she's kind of, she's a lady. <laughs> she's a lady. She's, she's a kind of girl. She's a lady. She's a woman. Whoa, of a, she's a woman whoa. of a certain age. Um, <laughs> so in reality, actually, what she's doing is fine. But it's mm. the way that she's played in the film yeah. uh, that, that kind of uh, that, that, that that has has issue with. Really. I think I've been slightly convinced early from conversation that we had in the car about. Um, how the five individually portray well act slash portray themselves because mm. I, I I wasn't much a fan of Victoria um, so, so I think Victoria's it, brilliant so. I think she's the funniest one in it is that unintentional oh yeah I mean I, 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 she doesn't know she's she's being funny because she's so bad no no but I I, I, I do think she knows I don't I do because the way the characters have been written right it's she's the easiest one to send up she's the easiest one to spoof you know she's, she's off herself no, because that's how she's portrayed. Because she's got this title of she's the posh one, and and, and you know, and she likes fashion. She like you know, she likes clothes, and and that's kind of the joke. And they play too much, and, and she gets most of the jokes aimed at her. The one who has, has the least jokes aimed at is Sporty. I think Sporty's. She's the, the straight one in a way. The worst one for performance is Mel B. She can't act. Emma's probably the best performance, but that's because she's got uh, acting training. Uh, because obviously she worked, she was from the Sylvia Young. So she was actually the strongest in terms of performances. Mm. But I actually think Victoria, you know, she. whenever I've seen Victoria since, she knows who she is and she plays up to it. I mean, I, she's not a, an actress in like any sense of the word. I think she's more of like a businesswoman. 
considering of what she's done in terms of the fashion industry later on in the yeah. I, I say I think I remember watching going oh god she's driving them all but then I think when I think back and think back about it you know you might have a point and I might retract my uh, early statements yeah. that I did actually make on the podcast but uh, yeah. also you go back going back to the, very, the Gary Glitter thing uh, the one that sticks out as well for like bad cameos in this is, is the Michael Barrymore oh god that's so bad I mean but, that, that, yes. that is, that's the bit where I almost turned off I was but, like no you've got to remember when this was filmed Michael Barrymore at this time was the Anton Deck of his day. I know he was. Yeah, he, he was. Huge, he was prime time Saturday night. His act was he'd be very silly. He'd talk, you know. He'd, he'd kind of like do weird dances and prance around. People love that. He was stupidly popular, especially yeah, he with, was. you know, especially with people who were a little bit older. Yeah, um, he he was really successful. So if they made a film now, would they put Anton Deck in it? Of course they would. No one knew what was going to happen with Michael Barrymore back then. It's only now that you kind of look back and it's all a bit kind of no, no, a bit I, creepy. I, it's not that I don't and understand. It's, it's not funny now. It's not that I don't understand him very, being there. Yeah. Right. It's that what he does in it is so terrible. Oh, yeah. it I is. mean, it's not even funny. It's, it's just funny. It's like if someone tried to replicate John Cleese with an idiot. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, but that's what he's at. It's awful. awful. I'm not saying awful. it's good, but that's basically why they signed him on because people liked that back then. Apparently. Well, it seems to be. It's gone down as an interesting, you know, an interesting part of what they what you would call Cool Britannia in the nineties. You know, ninety seven was was the point where, and we talked about this with Train Spotting, was the point where everything was good, everything was on the up. It's ironically now one of perhaps one of the most nicest periods of modern Britain that you can probably remember the late nineties now at this era because that was that was, that was when like was it. Three decades of conservative rule. Yeah, New Labour had got in that year. So, you know, you were talking about every, everyone was optimistic. And but the thing is, a lot of people look at that, but actually, really, that only lasted about 12 months, just over 12 months, this Cold Britannia thing. It's very interesting to talk about this because we're all, we're similar ages, yeah. but actually between us there's a big gap, so it's five years between me and Labour. Mm. So when this film came out, you were 12, yeah, and I was 17. So we looked at this film... I was from, 15. Yeah, and you were 15. So we looked at it from very different kind yeah. of eyes and when this film came out it was just after the death of Princess Diana yeah so you had the kind of Labour came in in 1996 and it was this Cold Britannia the country's finally going to be okay again and then within three months Princess Diana yeah, died she died and suddenly the whole country went on a downer again so the Spice Girls kind of came around 96 Spice was released in 96, 96. so yeah. they, they, they were kind of around now there was a lot of lead up into Labour coming in because everyone knew Labour was going to get in so there was this optimism building throughout the middle of the 90s which kind of like peaked when Tony Blair got in. Um, interesting fact, and if you know about this, going back to our uh, uh, previous one, do you know that the brother-in-law in the Confessions film? Do you know who he is? Yeah, I know this. I know this fact. No, that's Tony Blair's father-in-law. Yeah, really. Yes. Sherry Blair. Sherry, Sherry, Sherry Booth as a, a, a previous as a, name. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Anthony Booth. Yeah. Anthony Booth. Um, wow. See, so that's why we put these two films together. It makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this film was kind of coming on the wave of of, of, of that Cool Britannia, but also this came out like I said about three or four months after the death of Princess Diana. And this actually, I think, did quite a bit in terms of actually lifting the country slightly. Uh, I would argue that. I think the Spice Girls actually had a major part. In I don't it. think this film did, but I think the Spice Girls I think the definitely Spice Girls did. did. But this film As a phenomenon. The, yeah, this film is part of the, the, the Spice world. Well, I mean, yeah. you can, well, I think, I say, Spice um, Mania. Spi- yeah. Spice Mania. Stop yeah. making that a thing. It, no, it is a thing. Right, it, it is a Spice thing. Mania is what I get up to at Tesco when I'm making a call. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think because, um, as I said, like, we train spotting on the on like the first podcast you did, Spice Girls are pretty much ingrained in that mid to late nineties era. Um, I think ninety eight probably began slow descent because I think did Jerry break Jerry left in ninety eight, didn't you? Or? 
Was it 99? It's quite interesting because this film, it's almost like it predicts what's going to happen. Mm. It's almost looking at, at some point there's going to be a backlash. We are massive at the moment, but we know it's not going to last. We know at some point people are going to just go, oh, weren't you in the Spice Girl? And we'll be destined to a life of chat shows talking about how we were once in this band. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very self-aware of this is who we are and we know it's not going to last forever. Mm. And yeah, and this was kind of like, this was their peak and I don't think they ever kind of, it ever got any higher or any, any better than, than they did this time. To finish, Latham, why did you choose Spice World? So I was trying to figure out what film you'd absolutely hate to watch. <laughs> Why did you pick United Passions? Because this is Citizen Kane. Compared because to that. Paul Phil picked it before me. Okay. No, the, the, but, but let me know. Pinto, this no, is actually, not the worst film I've no, ever seen no, by actually, a long way. No, I think okay? so. What? There is like, I do like it. I just don't think no, it's really good. No, what I, what, my, what I personally think is that one, I kind of wanted to rewatch it as well because I still, I had the impression, and I and I do think actually I've been proven right that perhaps on a nostalgic value that the film's actually probably better than people expecting it to be. I mean, I'm, I was I'm fully expe- I was fully expecting you to go with your Mark Kamal ripoff. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, ripoff yeah. is a good term. No, no, no. It's not hateful. I, I only do that with films that no, genuinely because, like, hateful. Because when 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 you start talking about this film and when like when you first reacted to me saying it, I I I think you were purposely going to go in and fully expecting yourself to. Oh, I thought it was going to be awful. Yeah, it, yeah, but yeah. you didn't. But you no. didn't think it was awful. Well, I remembered how how much I liked the Spice Girls. You know, and, and that that comes out of it, and that's the big thing that comes out of it. You you like them. They, yeah. are, they are nice to hang around with for an hour and a half. Because uh, and they are, the idea as well, and I kind of hope that other people listen to this who will suggest in the future is that perhaps um, you'll go revisit films that you revisit films that mm. you perhaps disliked, yeah, and yeah. perhaps see them with much older eyes, which is what you've done mm. now. Well, yeah. I never saw it originally. You, so this is the first no, time I saw it. No, it's the first time I ever saw it. Yeah, I so, never saw it in '97. So you were saying, oh god, this is going to be, this, is, this will be crap, this will be crap. Well, mainly, admittedly, going by by a lot of people who, for years, I remember reading reviews at the time that said it was rubbish. So, but, it's, but again, it, we talk about top target audience. It, the film was never made for. Them. No, it wasn't. It wasn't it made. It was made for people who liked the Spice Girls because you I wouldn't did. see this film if you didn't. Yeah. I had Spice Girls albums. I liked them, but mm. it, for some reason, it didn't appeal to me. But. But it's it's interesting now because if if you have well, the reason like Justin Bieber made a film recently, Katy Perry made a yeah. film recently. But they they were more. Documentary, yeah, documentary rather, rather than, than go this style, yeah, which is ironically so, what I think I would rather have this yeah. been. <laughs> but actually, <laughs> but but those films will, will be easily forgotten. They about, will, whereas yeah, this true. one I think will hold up. Exactly. Because well, I mean, it's something as, different. I mean, you can still visit the um, the bus from the film. Yeah, yeah, in, in it's on show in the other I'm Not sure where exactly or why, but you can go and see the bus, and the, the bus is pretty much like. Probably one of the things that's probably lasted out. Well, it kind of it look. kind of represents that whole cool, cool Britannia. It's yeah. got the big Union Jack. Yeah. It's, got, it's got the uh, the sign on the back. Yeah. It's, it, it's very much of its time. It's in Island Harbour Marina. If anyone's interested in going and seeing it, if you, if you do, and if you do, please let us know. Yeah, send us a picture. Yeah. of you buy it. Yeah. <laughs> and if you get inside and find out if that really is the size of it, that'd be amazing. That'd be amazing I'll, if, I'll it, if it. it is a Tardis. Spice World will be available at various. Parts of the internet, probably on you. I saw it on YouTube. Um, you'll be able to get it obviously on DVD if you're so inclined, or on video disc, or on video disc, or mini disc, mini disc. Finally, then it's question time and time for Dawson to attempt to take uh, Matt Latham's um, place on the scoreboard. Oh, I remember that he, a few weeks ago he did really, really well. At this he did f- a few weeks ago. He did very well. And you'd think I'd spent the last few weeks studying up. After Absolutely, the, uh, yeah. because obviously there are probably people who have beaten him now on the leaderboard. I'm sure there are, aren't there? There probably is. Uh, I, mean, uh, yeah, I, I can't think off the top of my head. No, me neither. Jim from that podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Dawson's I, I'm genuinely scared. <laughs> Dawson, your, your film of choice is 
It's the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Well-known, recognised, 1975. Uh, 1974. 1974. I hope that's one of the questions. Is that one of the questions? So are you ready for your eight questions? No, but let's go anyway. (laughs) Okay, number one. What was the name of the house they filmed the film in? Is something Manor? Am I even... A hall? No. (laughs) Oakley Court. I don't know. Am I still allowed to pop in with an... You are, you are actually, yeah. Did you know that was Oakley Court? No. (laughs) What music genre and style did Rocky Horror directly influence? I'm guessing punk. Correct. It was punk. Well done. You are um, off, the, off the scoring board. That's Thank fine. You. I can still beat him. Which patron was asked to leave a New York theatre screening of the film for being an imposter? Oh, um, wasn't this um, when Tim Curry went um, as, uh, as Frankenfurt? Yeah, well done. Tim Curry was asked to leave. <laughs> You're an imposter, yeah. In which country has a cinema screened the film every week since July 1977? Um, I actually know this. Um, which country? Yeah, which country? Well, it's in America, but it's... Um, the, the, there is actually... There is actually it's, yeah. not, it's not the one I've got. Okay, there is actually one in America. That You're not getting a point now because I can't verify it. Okay, but it is actually... <laughs> there, there, there is one. It probably has happened in more than one country. Um, yeah. Yeah, I do know there is actually another one as well, but I can't remember okay. what it is off the top of my head. Okay, it's Germany. In the Museum Lichtspiel in Munich, Germany. What is playing on the radio as Janet and Brad drive up to the castle in the rain? Uh, That'd be Richard Nixon's resignation speech. Well done. Point there. Who did the producers ask to appear nude during Touch Her, Touch Her, Touch Me? Uh, That would be Susan Sarandon. Susan Sarandon. And what did she say? (laughs) Yeah, she said no. (laughs) Not doing it. No. Who was offered the role of the criminologist but turned it down because of scheduling? I know this. I, I genuinely know this. Obviously. Do you know any of these, by the way, Laden? Because you are allowed to jump in. Black called Dave. No. You're not allowed to jump in anymore. No. It was Charles... Charles Gray. No. No, 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 no. I'm going through my head. <laughs> no, no, Because no. Charles Gray is the person who played the character. Oh, right. Okay, okay. Something to do with Bond. It's something to do with... It's... it's, it's, it's well, Charles Gray's connected with Yeah, Bond, I know. But if someone else connected with Bond, I'm sure it was. Do you want to take a guess? Do you Ooh. know this, Latham? Uh, I was going to guess. You have a guess then, because you'll be Roger wrong. Moore. No. <laughs> it would surprise me if he was involved. I yeah. would like, if I may, <laughs> to take on a very strange journey. Um, I know this, it, and I'm going to kick myself. All right. Do you want me to tell you? Can you give me a clue? Because no, like, no oh! clues. I didn't give him any clues. Not that he needed them. But... Okay, give up. Vincent Price. Vincent Price. Oh, wow. Yeah. I and did know that. finally... Who did Tim Curry model his voice for Frankenfurter after? Now, this is technically two people, but it is only a one-point question. Uh, well, originally he was supposed to do it with an accent, but he kind of changed it, and I think he, he modelled it on someone from his family. Okay. Um, I think it was like his aunt. Do I get okay. a point? Depends if you get the next one right. If you get the next one right, I'll give it you. You're not quite right there, but you're close. It, it's, it's actually another female. Go on then. Uh, it's an actress, and I want to say Marlene Dietrich. No. He... It was after his mother and the Queen, the Queen, Queen Elizabeth you know what I first. Really is I known apart from the, the uh, apart from the, the one about where it was filmed. I knew every single one of those, but this is because I've not actually. You don't, yeah. You don't always get it there because I didn't do my homework like Mister Lazybone. Because <laughs> actually, I have others better stuff to do with my time. So after like what? <laughs> after eight questions, you have scored four. Oh. So, how, how many did Lou get? Three, three, three. In your face, MacArthur <laughs> Clare. In your face. I think it was three. So yeah, you are, you are um, on the leaderboard above there. So you're not bottom. 
So far, Latham is doing the most camp dance I've ever seen a man do in my life. I'm thinking he should have chose Rocky Horror. <laughs> That's it for Pick a Flip then this week. Uh, we will update the leaderboard. We'll be back soon, uh, hopefully with uh, Messrs Dawson and Latham. Let's talk about who you are and what you, where you're from. So Latham, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me on a website called The Bottle Episode. And you can access that through www.bottleepisode.co.uk. I'm also on Twitter under The Bottle Ep. Uh, on, um, on Facebook as well with the same name. Um, I also have another account, but it's private if you really want to try and break into that. It's an exam that. Cool. Okay. Look up The Bottle Episode. It's a great uh, site full of interesting TV facts, and I write for it, which makes it even better. Dawson. Um, well, I have, I have a, a, my own personal. I don't have any podcasts. Uh, my personal Twitter is at Mr. Dawson. I would actually at some point like to actually start my own podcast, though. I think you should. We've said before that you should do one on wrestling. Cause yeah, you're a massive I, I'm wrestling a huge, guy. huge wrestling fan. Um, so, do, yeah. What was that idea that we, we watch wrestling and I don't know anything about it and you do and then we do a podcast about it? Yeah, brilliant. Going, just give that idea fuck? away to somebody else so they can do it. Excellent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. I'll cut that. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, but yeah, at some point, I, I would actually like to, uh, um, to, to to maybe do a podcast about wrestling. I've got a few ideas of what I'd like to do. Um, I just need to kind of get around this technical side because I, I don't understand what's going on. Thanks, guys, for Thank very much coming on again. No problem. This is Pick a Flick. You pick them, we watch them. Simple. Bye. <laughs>